we can all look back on, on our lives, think choices we've made, things we've said or done, and uh, look back on those choices and think to ourselves, that didn't age well, you know. I'm thankful that like when I was in high school, there was no social media, there were no smartphones, so everything that I did and said was, is basically a rumor uh, that, you know, you can't search yet. But we've, we've all done and said things. Maybe you've made choices. Maybe you've looked back at fashion choices you've made, hairstyle choices you've made. I'm going to look back on this hairstyle choice, and we're going to say that didn't age well. Um, I remember when March 2020, when everything was beginning, uh, the world was starting to melt, and I remember shooting a video for you folks uh, based on the information I got at the downtown center, and I said, hey, Redeemer, we have to hit pause for a couple weeks. It's going to be kind of strange. We're going to have to meet online on Zoom, but don't worry. We're going to be back downtown at the center, worshiping together March 29th. And so, great example of something not aging well. Our text for this morning, as we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, is in Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. It's where Jesus famously says, commands for us not to worry. He says, do not worry. Um, And you know, on a surface reading, when you look at the state of the world, when you look at what was going on when Jesus said that, when you look at what went on after Jesus said that, I mean, around 40 years after he said that, Rome burnt the temple, burnt Jerusalem, that was a game. I mean, three, by the third century, uh, Christians were being systematically, uh, for the first time in history, systematically persecuted but under Diocletian, right? Nero was just crazy and sporadic, but Diocletian was like, get the Christians out of every sphere of office, every you know, public institution, just systematically. This was, and it could look like, based on all the things going on in the world, that that's something that Jesus said that wouldn't have aged well. Unless we truly understand uh, his premise and his promise and for those words and the comfort in which they are found. And unlike things that you and I have said that don't age well, the words of Jesus do. God's word stands because it is eternal. And uh, to borrow from uh, Tim Keller, anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25 through 34. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for after all of these things the Gentiles are seeking. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word. 
Now, as we've been talking about this sermon, week after week, when Jesus is preaching it, he's continually showing two pathways through life, two ways to live. Right? There's a narrow way and there's a broad way. Trust in the Messiah, trust in, you know, pick your mini Messiah. There's two ways to do good works. You can do good works from love. You can do good works for leverage. Loving God and loving people or leveraging people because you're trying to leverage blessing from God. You work through a sermon. Two ways to pray, two ways to relate to money, uh, two ways to, to uh, relate to trials in life, which is where we come in these, uh, this section of verses here. And Jesus commands us three times not to worry. And what is he doing? Is he being insensitive? Uh, is Jesus um, out of touch with humanity? Uh, is he just, you know, some sort of uh, insensitive drill sergeant? Uh, or is he like one of these, you know, coaches that's giving obvious, you know, quips? Choose positivity, guys. Just exude some positive vibes. I mean, these wise and caring words from Jesus, um, he's actually trying to get underneath our worry. Show us, you know, the root of our worry. And then he's trying to lead us to God, who is our only hope and uh, quiet uh, for our souls in those moments of worry. So this morning, I want us to just consider two things here. What does Jesus say is the cause of our worry? And then how does Jesus guide us through worry? Firstly, um, the cause. You look at verse 27. He says, can any of you worry by adding a single hour to your life? You know, a cubit to your stature, an inch to your height. What's Jesus getting at? Um, He's getting at the idea that there are things that are uncontrollable in all of our lives. And the moment that we want to control the uncontrollable... There's only one place that takes us, and that's worry. Uh, you can't control your height. You can't control the hours of your life. You, these things are out of your control. And the more that you and I look at the things that are in our lives that feel very out of control, and we clamor for control, that's only taking us uh, one place. Uh, when Nigel was uh, a little guy, we would watch um, these movies that were intense and scary. And when Nigel thought the jump scare was coming, he would prepare himself uh, by trying to anticipate when the jump start was, jump scare was, and he would go like this. And so like leading up to it until it finally happened. Oh, there, okay, I got it. And he was like trying to anticipate this moment. And so he's like just pre-worrying basically. When, when you and I go through these prolonged periods of time, looking at relationships, our career, our health, our own bodies, the state of our city, the state of the, the world, Politics. I mean, pick, pick something to worry about. When we go through prolonged seasons of <laughs> just trying to brace ourselves for this terrible thing that's about to happen, um, using all of our imagination toward that end, uh, these perceived dangers, it could be real or, or, or perceived, of, you know, health, future, relationships, finances. You know, our bodies experience all kinds of burnout and ulcers and hypertension and blood pressure and all these sorts of things. Um, and our, you know, it's because we're, we're essentially getting, our, it's like our soul is getting triggered. And, uh, get ready for this drastic action. Now, there's a, a prof at Union Seminary in New York City. His name was uh, Ryan, Reinhold Neighbor. And he used to say this, um, the human ego does not feel secure. And therefore, it grasps for more power to feel secure. It does not feel sufficiently significant or respected, and so it seeks to increase its position. This is what Jesus is getting at. It's this desire to control the uncontrollable. 
you notice the underlying uh, human uh, condition there, as we all sort of free fall into worry when we go into that into that spot. And so, when we come to these things in our life that disrupt our illusion of control, and the pandemic was a great example of that, right? Because regardless of your view on on the severity of it, um, the point is it ground the world to a halt. Now, that's an undeniable fact. Um, another undeniable fact is that a couple of microbes went the wrong way in our bodies and it just held up a mirror to the fragility of humanity, right? And in the wake of all of that, it's just disconcerting, very disconcerting, that we're not nearly as in control of things that we thought we were. And in fact, the responses for the last year have also revealed the desire for control, to clamor for that control. Hey, somebody else is controlling my life. No, I need to control my life. Hey, somebody, this is what they're saying needs to be done in the city. No, I need to decide. Just clamoring for the control. Constant, immediate human response. And we've all had to struggle with that in, 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 to various degrees and to various ways. Very, dis, very disorienting. Right? We just are, feel exposed. And in that moment, discombobulate. That's just what it feels like on the inside of us. And so... Jesus knows that this world, while beautiful, it's broken. And at some point and in some way, it's going, to show, it's going to hold up a mirror. It's going to show us the vulnerability. And that's what Jesus is saying is under the cause of the worry. I mean, what is it that you have been worrying about this week? I mean, what is it that if your mind wasn't fixated on something else, it would gravitate towards something and ruminate it about it? I mean, what is that? We all, have, we all have those things. I struggle, you struggle. And it's this thing that we've got to get control of. So how does Jesus guide us through the worry? Well, when we look at um, verses 26 and 27, he says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, and consider your own life. So at first, the first glance, the first reading, this just seems like really insufficient advice. Go for a walk, look at some birdies, look at some flowers, take a Flintstone vitamin, get over it. Suck it up, buttercup, stop worrying. Right? Like it can feel that way on the surface. But what's he really asking us to do here? Okay. And he says, look at the birds, look at the flowers. There's a word that uh, is used. I'm going to give a little bit of Greek just because you've heard this verse hundreds of times if you've been in church your whole life. If you're new to the scriptures, this will be helpful. And by the way, you don't need to know Greek at all to understand the Bible and get the, get the main gist of the Bible. But sometimes when you go back to the original language, you can get some flavor and some color. It's like putting some spices on something and say, oh, that's new. It's not really new. It just brought out this amazing flavor. Now, the word for look is emblepsate. And emblepsate means to intentionally gaze upon. It's a prolonged stare. It's a deep, fixated meditation. Right? It's, it's a concentrated, locked-in gaze. So when Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, he doesn't mean we go for a walk and go, huh, huh, well, I guess God's in control of everything and I just feel much better because that wouldn't work for any of us. He's saying, look at the birds. Like, just sit there and stare at the birds long enough until you start to think about how they're fed, the magnitude of the ecosystem, how this whole, how the God of the cosmos is holding everything together. Look at these flowers. I mean, they keep, they're, they're dying, but they're coming back. And how is this death and resurrection occurring in nature? I mean, how is it that, um, all of nature is being held together with this glorious 
fine-tuned, anthropic, mind-boggling level of precision so that human life can exist on earth. Jesus is saying, sit down and meditate. Like, fixate your gaze on these little things that are not nearly as valuable as you, but God is taking care of them. He has got it. And how much more do you think that he loves you, cares for you, has already promised to provide for you. If you read from Genesis up to Matthew 6, when Jesus says this, he's got a long track record for millennia of giving grace to people that don't deserve it, chasing people down who don't deserve it, providing for people who don't deserve it, and constantly using calamity, destruction, plague, war, devastation, even those horrifying things that are nothing like him to draw people to him. Consider the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Just this deep, deep gaze. He's, this is a call to meditation. How are you going to get through worry in your life? Meditation. Deep meditation. Now, we all have practices of meditation. It's just some of them are biblical and some of them are not. But we all fixate and orient ourselves around and ruminate on things. And Jesus is saying, I've got to dial you out of the thing you're fixated on. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? How am I going to do this? What's the, when's Waterloo Region going to go to stage two? What's wrong with the government? Why don't we know? Why is it, is it, vaccines, the vaccine, the man. Ah. Jesus is like, okay, just come back here for a second. Yes, I know this whole thing seems to be melting, but just, would you just stop? Do you see that flower? Sit down and stare at that. Not for five seconds. Just think about how the God of the universe has you in his loving care and his loving hand until that brings a handful of quiet to your soul. This is what he's calling us into. See, for many of us as moderns, this is how we meditate. We wake up in the morning and we pick up our phone and we look at it 8,000 times a day. And it is this, it is like this, has this gravitational pull towards it. And for some of us, we wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is look at the phone. And before you sit there and say, they understand I'm super sanctified and righteous, the first thing I do is pray. Awesome. Good. You also still struggle with worry. So you, it's quite possible you're more sanctified than the rest of us. But you still need Jesus. So calm down. Now, most of us, many of us, have this habit of waking up. We look at it. Because the phone says, can I interest you in everything all of the time? And then we have the opportunity to be interested in everything all of the time. Everybody's thoughts on everything all of the time. Everybody's frustrations and angers and you know, care about this and care about everything all the time. Be outraged at this injustice all of the time. You know, rise up and make a stand and change the world all of the time. Make sure that in every conversation that you're in that you say the right thing in the right way on the proper thing so that you can curb that situation all of the time. And so because this is the world that we happen to live in as moderns, we got to dial out. And Jesus is saying, there is a meditation that you need. And I'm not going to re-preach a sermon on Psalm chapter 1. But Psalm chapter 1 is the first of 150 psalms, which is all about meditation. And it gives you the picture of two contrasting things in Hebrew emblematic poetry. A stable tree, dead chaff. Stable tree, roots planted in the water. Blessed is the one whose uh, roots are, are, are like a tree with its roots planted by uh, streams of living water, whose leaf does not wither, who bears fruit in its right time. Stable tree, dead chaff. Just blowing, blowing whatever direction the wind goes. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Stare at the birds, stare at the flowers. Massive. You and I, you and I uh, need deeply to this continual reorientation because there's nothing more human 
than trusting in something smaller. There's nothing more human, frankly, in our, and I'm speaking about our old nature, um, before united to Christ having his new nature, but that battle, there's nothing more human than wanting to be God because God can control all things, and we very much want that. That's Genesis 3, and that's where worry stems from. You have situations in relationships, and family, and your lives, your businesses, uh, your educational pursuits. They are worrisome to you because there's perhaps some volatility there. Those things are out of your control, and you very much want the control. And so Jesus is dialing us out of this. He knows that we will listen to our runaway hearts. We will get held hostage by the fear that is generated by our runaway hearts. And so he says, take a beat, think deeply, God will quiet your hearts. So we don't want to listen to our runaway hearts. We want to do what the psalmist did many times throughout the psalm and speak the gospel to our runaway hearts and preach God's words to our runaway hearts. And Christian meditation, therefore, is not like this just arbitrary, peaceful thoughts, deep breathing, cleanse your mind, motivational cat poster situation. It's like think deeply on what God said and allow that to do renewal in your heart. Um, because there's a refreshing that's there. The same God that cares for the birds and the flowers is going to care for you. Uh, outside of the window every morning when uh, Susan and I have our coffee, you look out the window, we've got this hedge that we planted, and there's a little rabbit there every single day in the same spot. He dug a little, he dug a little lazy boy recliner in the dirt, and we call him Loaf. And the reason we call him Loaf was because the first time we noticed the rabbit, we thought something was wrong with the rabbit because its eyes were half open. It was just like, it looked like it, it had been into the wine, frankly. And the rabbit was just kind of like, his eyes are kind of half open. And we're like, oh man, we hope that rabbit's okay. And uh, one, one of the kids hopped on the phone and said, actually, this is called loafing. It means that the rabbit is, feels so safe and secure that there's no predatory threats that it totally relaxes, and so sometimes its eyes do this thing, and it's just kind of flaked out loafing there. And so every day, loaf is there. Yesterday I went out, word got out that our backyard is the place to be, and so all the rabbits are like, hey, come and hang out, because that's how rabbits sound, by the way, that's my impression of a rabbit. Hey, come and hang out at the dunk house. There's a good spot. I dug a little lazy boy recliner in the dirt. And so there's like three rabbits, they're all loafing. These rabbits are so chilled, Susan goes out to get water from the rain barrel, and they're just like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Go get your water, it's fine, but don't mind us, we're just sunning right now. This is a picture of the life without worry. It's not that there are no threats, because, you know, hawks fly over my house all the time. But underneath that hedge, the rabbit's like, yeah, I know the threats are out there. But from where I'm sitting, it feels pretty peaceful. The threats are out there. Boy, the hawks are circling. The hawks are not going to cease to circle in all of our situations. But Jesus is calling us to this place where God Almighty gives us this handful of peace. In God's divine providence, he, in, in, he, he promises to care for us. And God's providence, providence is not cold, you know, fate. It is fatherly engagement. And uh, we see that God's constantly moving things for the good of our salvation and for his glory. You see that at the beginning of the Bible and the end. Genesis 50, Joseph's in a pit. His whole life is just on fire. 
And you get to Genesis 50, after all the terrible things that happened to him, his brothers throw him in the pit, the whole situation, total betrayal. And what does Joseph say? He, on the other side of it, he goes, he looks at his brothers and he says, you know, you meant this for evil, but God used all of this for good. Fast forward from Genesis 50 all the way to Romans 8. Paul looks back on the grand scheme of history and what Christ has done in his life, his death, his resurrection, the promise of the restoration of all things. He goes, whoa, we should be straight loafing in this situation. Yeah, there's hawks. Yeah, stuff's going to burn to the ground. But I mean, whose hands are my life in? I heard of a king. And so in Romans 8, Paul says something that sounds a lot like Genesis 50. And he says, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean every situation works out okay. That doesn't mean we get a silver lining theology and go, oh, don't worry, this thing is burning down, but every time you know a door closes, God opens a window. I've read the Bible. I don't know if you've read it, but sometimes when something's burning down, God lets it burn to the ground. Yep. <laughs> like he does not always open windows. That's not in the Bible. I know that might be a spoiler alert for some of you. What I'm sure that's it. This is someone's God closes the door, he opens a window. Second Opinions 3.16. It's not in there because God has no problem with letting things burn to the ground because he's a God of resurrection. He's not afraid of death. You and I don't need to be afraid of it. We're in the, we're in the hands of this king. He's that good. Right? He's this good. You know, why are you and I here this morning? Under this tent, like at this exact moment, why are you watching this if you're at home watching the live? I mean, why this morning are you here? You know, God has moved 10,000 things in our lives to get us to this moment. Thousands upon thousands of things. I mean, why are we here? We're here. This church is here because amongst tens of thousands of other things, Susan and I were preaching, mainly me, things that were not Jesus, we had a gospel awakening. Susan had a gospel awakening in 2009. She said, hey, Paul, you're not close. I argued with her for a year, 2010. I had a gospel awakening. You're right, babe. Right? I'm very clear on this situation here. She's Deborah. I'm Barack. She's like, we, better, we ought to do this thing. And I'm like, I'm not so sure. And then I'm like, no, yeah, you're right. We ought to do this thing. So that's one of the reasons. But the reason we had the gospel awakening was because we were given a book by a friend. And the reason we got that book that preached the gospel... Uh, and, and sort of opened it up to, for me to see the air was because I was in upstate New York preaching at a conference. And the reason we were at that conference, and he was my friend, was because years ago I met him at a stadium in Utica in the hallway. And the reason that I met him in the stadium in the Utica in the hallway and became friends and later, many years later, I got the book and here we are sitting here is because before that I was sitting in the, in the seats and I was hungry and I wanted french fries. And the reason I wanted those french fries was because when I was in high school, I always got the french fries with the gravy. And the reason I got the french fries with the gravy was because I had a part-time job working at Foodland the Dude Land. So we're here because of Foodland. Thank you, Foodland. Okay, Deanna, uh, what I'm trying to say is there are 10,000 things that God has moved providentially in His great grace for you and I to sit here and hear Him say to us this morning through His word, do not worry. And this is good news for us, church. The power to silence the soundtrack of worry that seems to play on repeat during hard times. It's not personal mastery. It's this quiet reflection and meditation on the master. Verse 32 and 33 as I close. 
Verse 32 says, God knows what we need. Our Heavenly Father, He knows what we need, and He's good. And then it goes on to say, so seek first the kingdom. This speaks to our priorities and how one of the ways to alleviate worry is for us to re-examine our priorities. What have we made priorities? Now, we can love good things in the wrong way. Family is a good thing, but if you make your family the ultimate thing, it's going to lead to worry, 100%. Because if the thing that you've made ultimate is where you get your identity and your pleasure and your happiness and your joy and your everything, you need to control that thing. Because if that thing goes sideways, there goes your sense of identity, there goes your... If the family goes sideways, so the moment the family starts going and moving and shaking and things happen that are outside of the way we want that family dynamic to be, what rises up inside us? Control. Oh my goodness, how do we get this thing back to the way that I wish that it was so that I can have this sense of security and then fill in the blanks? So family is good and glorious and beautiful and a gift, but the, the good cannot be the ultimate. And so, he says, seek first, because that thing goes the wrong way. You can fill in the blank. I mean, I used family as an example. But I mean, if, if, it's, if it's your career or your education pursuits and you're getting identity from those things, you're going to need to control those things. If it's your startup, if it's your business, if it's moving through the ranks at the corporation, if it's getting letters after your name, you're going to need, if, if those things are defining you, you see, God is the one that is to define us, give identity to us, Tell us who we are. Give us a sense of security, joy. If, if something else becomes that God, we need to control it. How do I know that? Because that's the entire Old Testament. Just chronic idolatry. Well, I need this thing to take care of me now. I mean, it's just fill in the blanks on what we'll put in that place. So Jesus says, hey, look, seek first. Remember, there's a story of Mary and Martha and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She takes the position of a disciple and she's being taught the scriptures and she's being taught uh, the gospel by Jesus, what he has come to do. She's sitting there with the disciples. And Martha's running around getting food ready, which is a good thing, a great thing. I mean, to be hospitable is a really important and good thing. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things in the Greek. You're double-minded about many things. You're all over the place on many things. Mary's chosen the good thing. Jesus is not saying, hey, quit running around in the background and, and, and getting food ready because that's a bad thing. What he's getting at in that moment is you can, you can be all about the right thing in the wrong way. And it leads to the anxiety. And so normally saying don't worry is not helpful. Right? When you're worrying and someone just says to you, don't worry, you're like, go away right now. <laughs> it's just not helpful. Um, but consider the source, though. You know, is Jesus really out of touch with humanity? Uh, Jesus is well acquainted with humanity. I mean, he left his divinity and clothed himself in the frail dirt of humanity. I want you to think about this. If a, if a, if a, if a child or a teenager is having a meltdown over something, a total meltdown over something, and you say to them, don't worry, but the reason you say to them, don't worry, is it, it, the basis for what you're saying it is that you are committed to be with them, you are committed to never leave them, and you are committed to do everything in your power 
take your resources and your intention to take care of them, if you are fully 100% with them and committed to them, it's on that basis. That's why you're saying, don't worry. Because from their point of view, they have every reason to have a meltdown. But from your point of view, you're not going anywhere. You see, Jesus is saying, don't worry to his children on the basis that he has the power and the resources and the intention to be with you in all things, carry you in all things, sustain you in all things, and in the end, if it all burns to the ground, resurrect you and restore all things. The goodness of our King. Imagine the peace and the confidence and the security with a handful of quiet in your soul, regardless of your circumstances. I mean, that is the abundant life. And Jesus commands us not to worry because he knows we are all clamoring for a good life and he is the Lord of life. He promises abundant life and that abundant life does not look like everything works out. It looks like peace at your core, regardless of whether anything works out. That is glorious and abundant. So church, may we look at the birds, may we look at the flowers, may we give up the need to control the uncontrollable, may we rest in the truth that our life is in the hands of the one who defeated death. Which means, it's not those situations in your life that are uncontrollable. Your Jesus is uncontrollable. He defeated death, and we are with him. Let's pray.